I am very regimented, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, very disciplined, almost not OCD, but a little bit in that I, I, I know, fortunately, I like the, the what I do. And so it's easy to do it. But I mean, I, you know, I kind of get up at the same time. I have to exercise every day. I have to, you know, read the Bible and pray and try to get my mind centered. And then I love to read newspapers. I love newspapers. I've gotten so many great ideas, like literally the tactile experience of a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Most people your age, you don't even know what a newspaper no, is. No, I do. But, I get but, the I get the Wall Street Journal okay. delivered on Saturday no, so okay. I can sit and read the whole thing. Well, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, I mean, they're just, I think that's the some of the greatest writing in the world is yeah. in newspapers, yeah. journalists. Uh, and I'm always reading fiction and some, and I'm always journaling like you are. And mm-hmm. somehow through the process, I have so many ideas that just kind of reveal themselves, just staying in the flow that uh, then when I finally get a chance to sit down and write by myself or collaborate with somebody, I've I've always got lots of ideas. But mm-hmm. you, the hard thing is you just don't know which one's good right. or bad. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. I love your story so much. And uh, from the outside looking in, I never would have understood the journey that you took to get here had I not watched the movie. Yeah. So could you tell the story of how how did you get to this point? Well, it's a circuitous route, as you can imagine. Um, I I have I can't I grew up in a household that was very um, you know creative in a way even though my father was with a steel salesman uh, he was a, really an artist at heart my mother was an interior decorator just had an amazing eye for design so we grew up with you know artistic things and love of beauty in the household and of course the way you grow up you assume that that's the way everybody else grew up but it didn't it was a very artistic household looking back and but my parents were both children of the depression my father was born in 1911 and my mother was born in 1917 so they were formed by that you know that uh job security and education those were really the the preeminent pillars upon which my family was built you 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 go to school and you go as far as you can go and then you get a job and you do it for 45 years so yeah. I and my parents sacrificed for me to go to you know um, a private high school and then I went to college and graduate school and then I got a job in real estate and I really tried to do that because I, I even though I I had this parallel life of songs and music and um, you know, I just fell deeply in love with songs, really, because my father loved songs and music. But 
um, there was no possible way that I was going to pursue it as a vocation because I couldn't do that to my parents. But, you know, the, the soundtrack followed me everywhere I went, and I really tried to focus on real estate and fitting in with a blue suit and a red tie and a black suburban and a cell phone. I really tried to do that, but I just finally couldn't do it. The songs finally chased me down, and at 27, I ran away from home for the first time, <laughs> and I moved to Nashville, and I was here four years on the outside looking in, got nothing going. My father got ill, and I had to care for him at the same time. So I reinvented myself as a real estate broker and moved west to Dallas. Met my wife uh, here in Nashville, and we got married uh, about six months later. And really, I really just tried to start over again back in real estate with the blue suit, the red tie, and the black suburban. And, you know, I just, uh, I did have a spiritual epiphany about, I guess eight or nine years into it, where I was so disappointed with my life at the age 39, even though from the outside, you would think this guy's, he's got a nice yeah, life. Yeah. But I, that deep soul ache of not doing what I thought I was created to do was mm. really killing me. Mm. And so at 39, I just screamed out, God, why am I jaded, cynical, and disappointed with my life? And God said, you've been worshiping the creation not me, the creator. How's that working out? And it was just—it was a moment where I realized that this is this is what it's like to worship an idol. Somehow, mm -hmm. I had took taken something that was good, which is music and songs, and turned it into an idol, and it it ultimately was destroying me. Yeah, there's a great speech if you've never seen it. Uh, Jim Carrey is giving a commencement address. Have you seen this where he talks about his dad? Say it again. I mean, tell me. Yeah. Again. So. Yes. The idea is he's Jim Carrey. It's the height of his career. And he's telling the story about his father, who I think was a saxophone player. He's like, my dad was one of the most talented musicians. You know, I got so much of my talent yeah. from my dad, but he was terrified. He was terrified to pursue this life in music. And so he took a job as an accountant or something along those lines. And when he was in his mid-40s, he got laid off. Company closed down a division. He gets yeah. laid off and he never really gets a job again. And he says, so you can fail doing something you hate. Yeah. So you may as well try wow. and fail doing something you love. Wow. Yeah. It's a really great speech. You can find it on YouTube. I, I have seen it. I forgot that. That That is... That's really powerful. Yeah. So you 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 cry out. You yeah. sort of have this moment. What do you decide to do with that information? Well, and then I, I I really wanted to I wanted to find the you know reclaim the gift of of music, just the creative gift. I just wanted to find it again. And I think once I kind of realized that you know my eyes were down here instead of up there it was like a weight fell off me it was like okay god is in control this is not random and i just want to regain the you know the gift of creativity again and i said i just want to enjoy it i don't care about nashville i don't care about anything i just want to find that love again and it was you know it was a pure moment you know, moments like that don't really last. You know, then I went quickly back to the idol worshiper <laughs> of success and validation yep. and everything else that the culture throws at you. Uh, but I did reclaim it and slowly started 
just kind of unthawing and writing songs again. Yeah. And when did you guys get back out here to Nashville? Well, and then about a year later, I I, I sat down uh, early one Saturday morning and I I wrote a song. I just sat down and I wrote a song that by myself that I loved and it was called Little Rock and Oh, Tom, um, it is honestly one I could cry. <laughs> and and I did when I watched the movie for the first time understanding the backstory you know yeah. hearing the hearing the details about your dad and then getting to that i honestly when yeah. you sit down at the piano and you I haven't had a drink in 19 <laughs> days like i remember that i remember colin ray i remember being a little girl and that's yeah. on the radio and my grandpa's truck like i i think that's what is so striking about your work is for those of us who grew up and are of a certain age and listen to country music it's the soundtrack of our life yeah and it's the soundtrack of your life. Well, it's yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I didn't realize until probably two years ago that Little Rock was about my father. Oh, wow. It was pretty crazy. Wow. How beautiful. Yeah, it's, it is, it's, you know, biographical. It's emotional to even think about. Yeah. It's strange after all that time. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, those are pure moments that you wish you could have more of them, you know, where you really, you kind of break through the scar tissue and somehow you get down to the purity of, you know, love and um, loss and, you know, pain and beauty. And so you by yourself write this song and you hadn't had any, you hadn't had success as a songwriter. No, yet. no. I mean, I had forsaken it. I hated Nashville. <laughs> I was never coming back. Nashville was a mistress. She's going to, she'll <laughs> carve your heart out from the back <laughs> with a butter knife. That's what Nashville is. Yeah. And what did you do? Did you know you had a hit? No, no, no. Gosh, I didn't. But at that moment, I, I, something occurred to me. And again, I, I don't think you just wake up one day and think this. I, I think, God just gives you occasional pearls, pearls of wisdom. I decided, you know, I'm going to create stuff and I'm just going to share it with anybody and everybody. And I've kind of been true to that since that moment. So I wrote Little Rock and I made a demo of it and it was a piano vocal. It was like literally five minutes long. And I just started sending it and giving it to anybody and everybody. And I, I literally, I, I still had a few contacts in Nashville, and I would send the song to them and said, look, I'll give you the publishing on this. You can have the song if you'll just pitch it, if you'll just give me some encouragement. And everybody, nobody responded. Uh, but I reconnected with Paul Worley, who's like my guardian angel. And I had known him 10 years before as a guitar player in Nashville. And by this time, he was an executive at Sony Publishing. Mm -hmm. I gave Paul a cassette of Little Rock after four glasses of red wine at a <laughs> cocktail party at a songwriting seminar in Austin. Nice. And uh, I gave him a cassette. And miraculously, he listened, and he said, I think I can get one of these songs cut. And uh, he ran with it. And uh, well, he signed me to Sony Publishing in 1993, and uh, he got Little Rock recorded. And I've been with Sony since 1993. And how old were you at that point? At that point, I was 41. I love that because I feel like so many people think that the dream has a deadline. Yeah. 
You're and right. To you don't hear a lot of stories of someone in their 40s yeah. getting the first big break. Right. So is that is that common in this town, or do you feel like you have a unique? Well, I it it I think it is unique, and I um, most people most people believe that you have to be here day in day out grinding out 250 songs a year and just you know that th- that's the way it works and then it's you know as nashville la new york i guess they all say they're 10-year towns at least yeah so it's gonna, i've heard that so you come here and just you can set the clock you're not going to have success for 10 years yeah and that 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 probably is true I just think honestly that's a miserable way to live your life. I don't think you should do that. Yeah. I don't I don't think you should go to one of those centers until you have a modicum of success right. somehow. Right. Do you do you agree I with totally that? I totally agree. And in fact, I'm sort of living this life right now in that one of my goals as a writer, I'm an author. I'm yeah. Sure oh yeah, no. I mean, you're <laughs> you're a big deal. I'm just not sure why you're here no, talking to me. No. So I'm a I'm an author and one of my goals and challenges for myself in life is that I want to be able to create something in every category as a writer. Yes. So I've tried a screenplay and then about nine months ago, I thought, could I write a song? Yeah. Wow. And I'm like, well, I know I don't know how to write music and I can't sing, but I I do know I know lyrics yes. and I love music. Yes. It's a huge passion. So I reached out. I'm with WME here in Nashville oh, and I fantastic. reached out to Becky and said, do you think someone would let me write a song? She's yeah. like, yeah, girl, like we'll get you in. So I started um, just doing co-writes with people. No not, kidding. Yeah, not to like, not to be successful, not, but because the creative process, I was telling Jack, I've I've been doing it the last couple of days and I'm sitting in a room thinking, I can't believe someone's letting me sit in this room mm-hmm. right now. It's so fun and it's so fascinating, but I also am, hyper aware that I'm not sitting in a room at Warner Chapel with that band if I hadn't right. sold 7 million books before yes, I got right, here. Right. So I'm totally in agreement with you that, or even the structure, not to talk badly about Nashville, it's been right. so lovely to me lately, but I have wondered this because my understanding is that people who are writing songs and they're on a contract or whatever, right. that they, it's about Quantity. Yeah. You're getting paid by how many songs you can put out, which means that you could essentially go into a room and just want to get to the end of anything. Yeah. Right. Regardless of whether or not. And just as a writer, I'm like, is that yeah, is that the best way to right. get the best product? Well, I love Nashville. I love everything about it. And I'm a publisher yeah. as well as a songwriter. So like everything in life, it's nuanced. Mm. You know, there, it, it's not just one easy answer. The truth is you have to write so many bad songs <laughs> yeah. to get to the good songs. That's true. Yeah. So in a sense, it is it is a numbers game. And in another sense, you know, it's not. It, it's it. Th- there is no one size fits all. Mm. You, you just have to. Uh, I mean, you have to stay in the process, and the process does require you showing up. And I mean, I still write, you know, probably a hundred songs a year. Wow! And it, it's it's not that I have to. It's just I love the process. Yeah. I try to detach myself from the outcome, like everybody says that you should do. And sometimes 
most of the times I'm not successful with that. Occasionally I am, but you know, it's so, yeah, I mean it, but I see so many young writers that are just grinding it out. And in one sense, I, you know, they're waiting for that moment of success and sometimes it comes, sometimes it doesn't, but I still think they're better off staying in Grand Cane, Louisiana, working in a, you know, a, a metal shop yeah. and, and writing songs and living their life and, you know, growing their family there, have a little success. And then Nashville, like LA or New York, it's, they, they need to introduce you like, this is yeah. Rachel Hollis. Yeah. She's got this huge podcast and she sold seven million books. And then yeah. it's like, okay, All I right, want we'll to talk to Rachel. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's yeah. just life. A hundred percent. When you're writing a hundred songs a year, how many of those do you actually show anybody? Well, you know, I mean, I'll probably show them all, most of them. Uh, just, you know, they. I think Guy Clark said, a song is not finished until somebody listens to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it. that's what writers do. You yeah. know, we, we want, we want, we're looking for that initial point of inspiration and then I want to inspire you. I want to, yeah. yeah, I want to play you something and say, did you get it? Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of what we do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'll still, you know, demo most of those songs, turn it into Sony and, you know, and they'll, they'll listen and give me some feedback. Yeah. So you have, let's going back to this idea. You have little rock. Yeah. Did you have your next song ready to go before that came out and became a hit or how did the, how did the career go from yeah, that so, first success? Um, that was 1993. Little Rock got recorded, and I was signed to Sony, and they allowed me to kind of start coming to Nashville one week a month. I was still in Dallas. Mm -hmm. So I stayed in Dallas as a real estate broker, even after Little Rock had gone number one, just because I still think you should have a, a, a healthy mistrust for the machine. I love I, I love this because a lot of people don't talk about it. Yeah. And it is um I am the queen of chase the dream, go big, reach for something more, but not to the detriment of yourself or right. your family. Yeah. And I think that people or dreamers can trick themselves into believing that if they just right. you know, it's like leap and the net will appear. Yeah. Some kind of net will appear, but right. It's not necessarily so. I love that you're talking about that because I feel like most people don't. It's like don't play it too safe, but also don't bet the farm and lose everything. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I mean, if you're 24, or 25, and you've kind of got you know a foundation behind you, and you're not married, and you don't have any entanglements, uh, my son, you know, is. Uh, pursuing acting and screenwriting in LA. Cool. I mean, he, uh, so, but you know, he was 25, he's 25. Right. He lives at Venice beach with right. four of the guys <laughs> right. and he loves Live your it. life. Bro. So, yeah. you know, that's a different case. Absolutely. But, but if you're married and have, you know, two kids and you got a good job in UPS, you know, in nowhere in Nebraska and you love songs, yeah. do not quit your job right. and leave your family network and come to Nashville. Right. You can, it, I don't know, I, I guess in life, we want everything to be binary. We mm -hmm. want it to be either or, and it's just not. It's both and. Yeah. So. So good. 
Yeah. So you're you're in Dallas. You're coming here one week a month. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm not super familiar with right. how the town works. So it, doing co-writes and things like that, was that happening back in the that 90s was, as that well? That was happening. Okay. And, and, and that's the way Nashville works. They they try to get you in better and better rooms. Yeah. You know, to write with, you know, more established songwriters that, you know, are having chart activity. And that you know that can work i think looking back for me i had finally learned to write songs by myself and then all of a sudden i'd kind of figured something out and then i left that guy interesting and i started coming to nashville one week a month writing hundreds of very mediocre songs <laughs> just because it's like a kid in a candy shop yeah and they're interesting people and it's sights and sounds and it's fun and they're interesting people uh, but I lost that guy that wrote Little Rock. Mm. And then it's taken me years to go back and find That's him again. That's interesting. Yeah. Did you have hits in the time we were I, I had a few. Yeah, I mean, I had a few other songs recorded. I've never really had very many songs recorded, honestly. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, but the songs Just that I've written. Just the songs that are recorded well, the, are, they are massive. I mean, I have written 2,700 songs wow. in 27 years. So I've written a lot of songs. Probably I've gotten, you know, a couple of hundred recorded. Mm -hmm. So that's 2,500 songs that will never see the light of day. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I started getting you know, a little more traction. And then, uh, again, Sony was my backstop. They said in 1997, look, you're doing this one week a month. We really think you can do this. Let us help you get to Nashville. Bring your family here. And so I did. I moved my family back. And so at that time, I was 44. And I was married with three children. And But Sony made it possible, you know, with a, a draw to let me uh, be here and uh, really get after it. And then things did start kicking into gear. Mm -hmm. But at that, that time, I was 44. I'd had a couple of hits. People knew who I was. And I had confidence uh, that I could do it. And, I mean, as you know, confidence is 95 percent of it absolutely i love the story in the movie of the house that built me because going into watching the movie i did not know that was your song yeah and it's a, a it's a favorite of mine right. i was telling my boyfriend i made him watch it last night he's british <laughs> so he doesn't oh, wow. know country music at all and he was like this is so beautiful i'm like right i for probably two years i had i would journal and write about what the storyline would be or what the movie would be or what the book would be based on that song. Wow. I was like, what is the character that yeah. shows up at someone else's house and asks to come in, which right. is so beautiful. Yeah. But my favorite part was that nothing happened to that for yeah. seven years or something. Will you tell that story? Well, uh, my friend, the brilliant Alan Shamblin and I were in Sundance, Utah in the summer of 2002 with the, the Bluebird Cafes, a famous songwriter haven here. And they sent us to Sundance to do a ride around in the summer of 2002. And so we went out there and Alan came in the restaurant early one morning and he said, I've been thinking about houses, you know, where we grew up. <laughs> what if we wrote a song? not about the houses that we build, but the house that built me. And literally when Alan said that, you know, it was like the earth, you know, stopped spinning. The forks were suspended <laughs> in midair and the water froze in the pitcher in the restaurant. And I was like, Alan, 
don't say that to anybody else <laughs> until we get back to Nashville. And so Alan and I got back. He'd written four verses. I'd written three. We did our first draft. We, it was a, 22 we, minutes 22 long. minutes long. It was epic. It was the greatest song since oh, Let It Be. Turned it in, and the publisher was like, that's really cool. Yeah. And as you know, in Nashville, that's code speak for we will never yeah. listen to that Thanks song for again. So we it was disappointing, but most of what we do is disappointing. But if you if you like what you're doing a little bit more than the rejection, you mm. can keep going. When that gets out of balance, that's when you stop. So we liked it and we continued to write other songs. And then seven years later, we got back together and I just woke up. I remember thinking one day, there is something magic in the house that built me. And so Alan and I got back together and we revisited it and you know, we we really rewrote it. Um, and, and we were missing the line, uh, the setup line for the hook. We didn't have, if I can just come in, I swear I'll leave. Won't take nothing but a memory from the house that built me. Yeah. And so when we had that, the whole thing kind of clicked into place and we demoed it again and, you know, miraculously it, it made its way to Miranda Lambert. I, I'm curious, having listened to other songwriters perform their work or listening to you perform your work, yeah. it's so different than what gets cut by the artist. Yeah. And when you're creating things, are you ever like, oh, if we could get Miranda on this or if we yeah. could get this specific artist and it would really be like did you have that in mind or you were just like please lord let someone i think it was more please lord let somebody uh uh listen to this it i mean i think you can't help but detach your well you can't help but think about man this would be great for tim mcgraw when you're yeah, writing a song or yeah. kenny chesney or you know miranda lambert but um that that really kind of thwarts the creative process the because then the song knows what it wants to say. So you're you're you really have to follow the song. You can't try to lead the song because you will lead it astray. So you just I mean once it started, it's kind of like a wild buck and bronco. You just you yeah. just try to gotta hang on until you get to the end. So we, we no, we had no idea of that. I mean it was a it was a piano vocal from a male standpoint and but the the sign of a really great artist is that they can take the original that you create and then they can make it their own. Yeah. And that's why Miranda Lambert is, you know, brilliant. Yeah, so good. I was laughing with Jack when when I was looking at all of your awards that one says song of the decade right. for that, not the year, right. song of the decade yeah. for that song. Yeah. So amazing. Well, you know, it is amazing. I, 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 when you create something, I think you, you kind of have to move away from it uh, over time, or it starts to, it starts to control you. So I love the house that built me. I'm grateful for it. I really, it's now, it's kind of Miranda's song. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the, it's your song. Mm -hmm. I mean the. The, the magic, the mysterious thing about art is we create that song. Mm -hmm. And somehow in three and a half minutes, it takes you back to your You're so home right. and your place. You're so right. That's, that's, the, that's the magic trick. Yeah. It's the, the line that gets me every time in that is 
that the dog's buried under uh. the tree in the backyard. Whew. It's like, uh, all of us are like, because right. you, yeah, that is right. where all of those different things happened. Yeah. And whether the house was good or bad, yeah. the house still built you. Oh, so good. Well, you know, and throughout the years, Alan and I both have had thousands of people talk to us about you know, how much they love the song. And we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it's <laughs> like, like we we, we're yeah. fans of it too. But the most poignant stories are those that say, I had the exact opposite of that. Yeah. But that, that, the house that built me like other songs, they're aspirational. They're not, they're not, you know, the idyllic uh, household that you have. It's, in a sense, it's what you want your life to be. Right. And, and you have the chance to, you know, do everything different than the way you're brought up. Absolutely. But those are poignant stories. Well, and I think the, that is something, too, is like those lines, as a writer, um, whether it's in a book or a song or a movie, I since I was a little girl, I've just paid attention to the lines. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I right. wish, I wish that I... Like I want to create something that is that good of a one-liner. Right. And um, the other one I was remembering last night was Jesus will forgive, but your daddy yeah. won't forget or right. daddy won't forget. Like, I'm curious, do you, when you, do you have that where you write it and you're like, okay, that's, that's yeah. good. Like, do you hold space for that one line or to you, is it just a line that you wrote and it's part of the yeah, song? Yeah, it's just a line. And uh, then you go back and you think, Damn, that's yeah. a pretty good line. Yeah, that's a good I mean, line. That, that, that's more of it. But I have daughters, and so you know, I think. I mean, most men. Let's just say this: all men are a complete waste of time. <laughs> I'm just going to go on the record with that. All right, quoting. Uh, yep. uh, and then maybe at, at about the age of 35, they have a, a little redeeming value. But um, so as a father of daughters, uh, I'm deeply suspect of yeah. the moment. And I just, I put myself, the fun thing about the creative process, as you know, is that you, these these songs are really mini movies. They you are. Know, they're, just, they're just little movies. And that's why the line is so amazing. It's like, if you can say in one sentence yeah. an entire move like you see everything. You right. see who that dad is. Yeah. You see how many times this guy screwed up. Oh. You see, you see it all in one line, and I, I'm, I, I'm finding this process for myself really interesting because I'm getting paired up with people who just do music, and yeah. I'm doing the lyrics. Oh, interesting! And that I'll be like, wait, just, get, just give me a second. Right. I don't want to. Could we just? Because if we, yes, we can say it that way. That way is good enough. Right. But if we just sat with it for a second, we could come up. Right with a word or something that changes the whole structure. Yes. And I don't want to be too precious in the process, right. but it because it's so fun, I'm like, well, let's try and get no, that it, one line. Yeah. I mean, you're just trying to peel the onion yeah. down one more layer. How far down can you go? What is your creative process like? Well, uh, I mean, you have to work in horrible conditions. It's a horrible place. <laughs> um, you know, it is, I am very regimented, mm. like, uh, you know, very disciplined, almost not OCD, but a little bit in that I I, I know, fortunately, I like the, the what I do, and so it's easy to do it. But, I mean, I, you know, I kind of get up at the same time. I have to exercise every day. I have to, you know, read the Bible and pray and try to get my mind 
centered. And then I love to read newspapers. I love newspapers. I've gotten so many great ideas, like literally the tactile experience of a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Most people your age, you don't even know what a newspaper no, is. No, I do. But, I get but, the I get the Wall Street Journal okay. delivered on Saturday no, so okay. I can sit and read the whole thing. Well, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, I mean, they're just, I think that's the some of the greatest writing in yeah. the world is yeah. in newspapers, yeah. journalists. Uh, and I'm always reading fiction and some, and I'm always journaling like you are. And mm-hmm. somehow through the process, I have so many ideas that just kind of reveal themselves, just staying in the flow that uh, then when I finally get a chance to sit down and write by myself or collaborate with somebody, I've I've always got lots of ideas. But mm-hmm. you, the hard thing is you just don't know which one's good right. or bad. What comes first for you, the song or the words? Usually the idea. Yeah. So if we were writing a song, which okay, we... Okay, Tom, okay, let's go. Well, I, I, <laughs> As a piano. I, I didn't know that this was your uh, <laughs> your your next chapter. You'll probably come in to take over the town. Just no. remember me, will Oh, you? my word, no. Um, guys that I've written with for years will come in and start reading a list of titles. Yes, yeah. And that is off-putting to me. I can't, I don't do that. Now, of course, everything, honestly, I say is contradictory because Alan came in and said, what about the house of building? Right. So, but the 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 title has to reveal almost the whole story, mm-hmm. uh, and the more specific it is, the more universal it becomes. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know probably the greatest unrequited love song of all time is "I Will Always Love You" by Dolly yeah. Parton. So you think that's a very generic title, you're and right. then when you realize that she's writing it to try to break away from Porter Wagner, you're like, "Oh man, that's I a get whole it. thing." Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know. I never knew that song was about him. Yes. I, I mean, never put that together, and obviously it was. Wow. So, you know, the intent behind songs are really, the the other one is, uh, there. there's a great songwriter named Dan Wilson, mm-hmm. and he is in a band, he was in a band called Semisonic, and one of his, their most famous songs is called Closing Time. Yeah, Closing Time. Yeah. Closing Time. Time. So you think it's yeah. the... Every bar in America plays closing time. Yeah. And it's about the birth of his child. Oh, wow. So go back and listen to it. Um, and and you know, with with that in mind, yeah. it's really like Drops of Jupiter, they yeah. say, is about uh, the uh, Pat uh, Monahan's. I think that's right. I got to look that up. I think that's right. The lead singer of Train. It's about his mother uh, battle with cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like it, it takes on such a totally different context, or even the musicality of the song will make yeah. it feel like it's happy. And if you hear, if you right. pay attention to the words, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, it's tragic. This is not, yeah, this is a really hard one. So someone comes in and they have this list of songs. Would the alternative be that it's like a feeling? I mean, do you start with a feeling or yeah. a story well, or a. I, I, when people read titles, I feel like. I feel like that they, it makes me feel like that they're auditioning because yeah. you're just sitting there. No, no, no. And I hate for, I don't like to audition at this point. I don't want my friends <laughs> yeah. to audition. They're, yeah. So it's easier for me to talk about, you know, the road home mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, or talk about you know, the way that you felt about your mother um, mm-hmm. or, you know, the disappointment of, you know, when, 
Margaret Spelling broke your heart, you know, in 11th grade, you know, after you've given her your ID bracelet. Yeah. To me that (laughs) I can see those because I'm, I'm more visual than Mm. I am. um, What is it? Auditory versus visual. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been interesting. I was telling Jack that the last two days I've been in sessions with people who had a very strong idea about what they wanted to write. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, what are we going to write today? It was, this is what I'm going to write. I have a melody, and I want it to be this. Wow. And rather than pushing back, I thought, well, this is a great learning experience for me. Can I help these people write a song that I have no attachment to? And can we sort of get to something that I also feel proud of the product? But it was a wild experience to try and fit into yeah a single you know a few words like we want to call this song blank yeah write it for us right and so i i I didn't really know any other way because i'm so new at this so i'm like okay tell me the story yeah she broke your heart more than one woman has broken your heart and so you feel like is it are you lost are you angry are because as a as a a storyteller i think if you can tell me what the story you okay i can get you somewhere yes but i don't know how to just write some verses for you based on a title that you want. So that was a really great, challenging process for me. Well, there are people that do that and do that really well. Yeah. Um, So again, it it just shows you the kind of the the nuance of Nashville. There, you know, there are guys that literally, um, I mean, they kind of call them a, they call them track guys, which is kind of demeaning, but, I mean, because they make these amazingly, they've just got a three and a half minutes of music. Yeah. And then they play it for you, and then you're like, okay, here's what that music means to me. So there's that. Or then there are people that, you know, have a very defined, you know, here's the title, and it's it's almost like math. Yeah. At a, at a certain it's a, point. There's a recipe for there's sure. There's a recipe. And, and then there's storytellers. Mm. So... And they're all very valid. And honestly, the 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 first two examples that we gave, you know, they're very successful. Um, I am a storyteller, so I'm much more interested in the story than I am. I'm more interested in the story than I am the song. Yeah, honestly. yeah. Because I'm I want to find myself in the story. Well, that's the beauty of country music. Yeah, that you can't find in another genre. You can't storytell the way you do in country yeah, music right. in pop. Yeah. You know, you could do something. Right. But I think that this category really lends itself to make the I can't think of a pop song that made me cry, but I could tell you 20 country songs that'll make yeah. me, you know, weep like right. I'm at a funeral. Cause you just they there's that one line or they say something, you're like, oh, and all of a sudden it's your grandma or it's yes, your mom right. or it's your heartbreak. Right. Um, which is so special. Are you still are you still sorry, the accent went real strong. Are yeah. you still? I, I like that. <laughs> uh, are you still actively working and creating stuff every day now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm. I am. I love it. I'm writing today at eleven fifteen. Nice. Well, we'll watch. We'll watch our time. Um. So but we're 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 fine. So yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it. I, I do it because I love it. I just I can't. I can't stop it. I mean, somebody said, "Look, I'll give you." I'll give you a hundred million dollars, but you could never write another song. Yeah. I would have to say, respectfully, I decline. Yeah. I just, that would, 
I just couldn't. That would be a deal with the devil for yeah. me. Yeah. Tell me what you think about this. I think most people listen to the radio, listen to songs on the radio or streaming or whatever. I think because they're they're trying to escape something. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to forget something. Yeah. Or tap into a feeling. Okay. You know, like if you're having a hard day and you're trying to, I got to get home and I need to be a mama right now and right. change my bad attitude. Yeah. I'm trying to tap in. Yeah. Yeah. I write songs because I'm trying to remember something. Mm. But I don't think most, I don't think most people listen to music because they're trying to remember something. Yeah, you're right. I think they listen to it because they're trying to forget something. Yeah. And I mean, the, honestly, they're both valid. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's I can't really. Well, I also that up, think music. Yeah, I would say I do listen to certain songs to remember, mm-hmm. whether it's remember a time period or remember a family member who's no longer with me or, you know, mm. there's what popped in my head. So my brother was an incredible musician and wanting to write songs is in his memory for me. Wow. Uh, so I feel very, like I feel him here. I feel wow. very close to him when I'm doing this. And he was incredible and a brilliant, could play any instrument, sing and write and the whole thing. And he had really severe mental illness and took his own life. And um, oh, Vince Gill- Rachel. Go rest oh, high on the mountain. Oh. You know, played that at his funeral. And if even just the opening, if I even see Vince Gill, like I, I will just it. I'm there, and I'm and not in a place. It will make me cry, but not in a place of right. sadness. I really have worked so hard to celebrate his life, yeah. and so the music that we listen to together is a celebration wow. of his life for me. And even I'm, you know, I can't feel these fingers because I'm learning guitar. Yeah. And I'm doing that in Ryan's memory. Wow. It's not, you know, I don't have this strong, it's just, I want, it's, and it's been so many years, but I just have come to a place of feeling like this is, I really want to carry this on. I that really don't beautiful. want this to have died with him. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's why you came to Nashville. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. Um, that's- I have to ask, how on earth did this movie come about? It's so different. It's so I'm like, it's perfor- It's a one man show. It's performance art. Yeah. It's so unexpected. I've never seen a songwriter doing it. how on earth. Well, I gave. I was honored to be inducted into the song Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2014, and they give you 12 minutes for your induction speech, literally, because it's a they're on a tight schedule. And as Abraham Lincoln said, if you want me to give you a long speech, I can do it now. If you want a short speech, it's going to take a while. <laughs> so I worked on it for months and months and months, and I'd bring my friends over here, and I would perform. I would, you know, give the speech to them. So I, I really kind of dialed it in, and I, I mean, it's the summation of your, you know, your career to that point. So you want it to be meaningful not just I'd like to thank this I'd like yeah. to thank that uh, that they say don't do that yeah. you know at the, at the award shows because it still is about the audience you want to it's, it's everything we do is we're really just narrating somebody else's story so I was just thinking how could I do this in 12 minutes that's going to be meaningful to the people that are there and all the people that have recorded my songs and so I I, I, I found again this is I think godly wisdom i found this uh, the device of a letter 
So my induction speech was a letter to a discouraged young songwriter, which really did happen. And he was like, I think I should quit. I don't know why I'm doing this. Why should I keep going? You know, and I know he's looking at me thinking, you got it all together. It's been easy for you. And I just wanted to pull the veil back on the ecstasy and the agony of life and how really all those things, you know, the, the tragedy and the and the beauty of your life, uh, it all goes into the art that you create. And I kind of overlaid that speech with the seven days of creation from Genesis, mm -hmm. which people are like, what? <laughs> uh, it, anyway, it made sense to me. And I got so much interest in the speech over years. Uh, people would constantly come up, man, that was the greatest speech. And it was on YouTube and, you know, many people saw it. In 2018, I was very discouraged with, you know, writing. I mean, I'm constantly discouraged, but I was really at a low point. I was like, I don't, I, why am I doing this? I don't even know why I'm doing it. And I thought back to the, my own speech that I gave about, you know, why we do what we do. And then I got to go see Bruce Springsteen on Broadway. I've heard that's amazing. It, you have to see it on yeah. Netflix. Okay. So I saw it in a little theater on Broadway and it was two and a half hours of Bruce and his life and songs. And he talked all about Freehold, New Jersey. And the magic of that took me to 3018 Oregon Drive. And he was really narrating his story, but it was my life. And I thought, I know how to do that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always looking for ways out of the, the despair and the discouragement of creating. I mean, yeah. it's very discouraging. It's so hard. It's so, it's just, it's a brutal thing. And so I'm looking for outlets. So I thought, okay, what if I took this 12-minute speech and blew it up into a, you know, a, a one-man show? Which kind of it, so mine is a bad version of Bruce Springsteen. No, on it's not. Did you perform it live ever? I did it hundreds of times. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's really started as a one-man cool. show. So I bring people out here on the weekends. I did it for corporations. I did it for charities. It was just How a thing rad. like it was a way for me to connect with people. Well, and it's also evolving your creative expression, yeah. which is so cool. Have you seen American Utopia? No. Oh my gosh. Aunt Luke Jackson on it. Is it a okay. movie or what? It is a Netflix. Uh, it's a live recording of um, Talking Heads. So no. it's David Byrne on Broadway. Wow. It is the most, as a creator, you will cry. Okay. It is so it creative. And I saw him um on a in an interview saying, I just didn't want to do another concert. Yeah. I've done these songs a million times. I wanted to come up with a new way. And it's essentially him and let's say 10 musicians on stage, but these musicians can play every instrument. Wow. They're dancing, they're playing, the lighting, the stage. It is so creative, it hurts my feelings. Wow. I And it is impossible to watch that and not go, okay, what am I doing now? What's the next thing? Fantastic. How do we, wow. like, anytime, and I think that that's why I was so adamant, like, who knows Tom Douglas? Yeah. Who can give me an interview? Because I'm so inspired by people who are creative, but they keep evolving yeah. the way they do their work. Yeah. So you had done it as a live performance. I did it a hundred times in a, uh, a young Oscar nominated 
film director that was in Nashville saw my one man performance. And he said, I know how to make a movie out of that. Mm. And I was like, let's do it. Yeah. So in February of 2020, uh, we, my, my son helped me create the one-man performance. He wrote the script with me. And then my son-in-law is actually the, the producer of the film. And this, he's like my Irish son. He, he directed <laughs> it. So uh, right before the pandemic shut everything down, miraculously, we did all the filming in February of early 2020. And then the shutdown happened. And... Uh, and then we, you know, we went into all the post-production and the editing and all that. And uh, and then we found some really great people to help us. Jason Owen, who's a big manager in town, is in the film and TV space. And Sony Music Entertainment, Tom McKay and Chandra LaPlume. They came in. They, are, they had experience, uh, you know, in film and TV. And we... Uh, we, we we made a deal with them, and then they they're the ones that shopped it, you know, to the 150 different streaming right. services. But we ended up mercifully with the Paramount Plus, which is just an amazing place to be. Well, Paramount Plus definitely got a new user because it was the only way I could watch that movie. But I, I heard about it, and just I, documentary film is my favorite. Yeah, it's kind of all I watch, and so I was like, oh my gosh, it's sort of a documentary because I didn't really understand what it was yes, yet right. and it, I knew it was about songwriting and about you and I, I just I wanted to see it and I was like what is Paramount Plus so they do I when we came in here I'm like Jack did you see it yet because we've worked together for five or six years and I was like Jack it's it's a continuous shot which yeah. is so sick yeah. to watch it. It's, a, you know, how you all pulled that off is incredible. I'm like, you'll love it just from that yeah. standpoint. Come but on, Jack, like, get yeah, on the bandwagon, like, man. I said, it's on Paramount Plus. I'll give you my login information so you can go watch it. Yeah. So well done. Are you so proud? Are you so Yeah, happy? so proud. It was a, it was, it was a, we love movies. You know, I think every songwriter, every creative person loves movies. So yeah, it was just, it was a blast. Uh, it was fun working with that team. And um, it is performance storytelling, which is, that's what one of our team, Chandra LaPlume, called it. And, you know, yeah, it is different, but it's, it's, it wasn't like we set out to do something different. It's just, it's the only way that I knew to do it because yeah. it, it, it's based on a one man performance. It's just a one man show. Yeah. It just happens to be the, but it's so much what we didn't want to do is just film my one man show on a stage somewhere that would that would make the yeah. paint drying on the wall right. interesting i yeah. would say same with american utopia they really cared about how they shot that yeah, in right. a way that you could yeah. receive oh i'm so excited for you, well, you have I'll, my I'll, email please email I will, me after I'll, watch it i'll tell you, you and will i, just I love will it. I, I can't wait to see it yeah i'm curious in the and forgive me for not knowing the answer to this but in the movie you perform the song about your dad at yeah. the end, my father's father's reputation. Is that is that a song that's been on the radio? No. Now no. isn't that funny that I've watched the movie twice now, and I'm like, oh, I love this song. Yeah, I've heard this was just a massive hit. And it, no, was that the first? Um, <laughs> wow. But I mean, that's know. a good song when yeah. you feel like uh, you know it, it already. It, it kind of became the almost the the cornerstone uh, for the play and the and, and for the film in that the the love tom on paramount plus it's not really about my father it's just 
it just happened. My father, obviously, is a big part, as all fathers, for better, for worse, you know, influence us. Um, But I was trying to reconcile. My father died in 1996, and I was trying to reconcile. uh, I I really, you know, thought I'd made peace with this with this passing because it was, I mean, he had cancer and it was, you know, he'd suffered all that other mm-hmm. thing. And, and, and it was a, he, he really came back to himself the last three years of his life. So we were sad to see him go, but it was a merciful ending. And, um, but I had this, I thought peace with my father's passing. And then I had this crazy burning ambition that was, they were parallel and I could, I never could quite figure it out. Um, why I was so ambitious because it's not really money that does it or even accolades. It was, and here's the crazy thing. I realized, I don't know, in 2017, my ambition was tied to try to redeem my father's reputation because I hated. Mm. (laughs) Just like your brother. I hated the way it ended. Yeah. So, but, you know, the the beauty of the creative process is that I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. It's it's God has got his reputation. That's not, that's a weight you can't carry. Yeah. And also incredible that he got to see it. Yeah. You know, that part in the movie where, you know, he's listening to your song on the radio. It like... Because that's not always the case. And I believe, I, I really believe that yeah. when people pass on, they're still watching over us. But it's different if you didn't get to experience yeah. him, see yeah. it. Yeah, that was a gift. Yeah. And I love the, um, you know, hearing about the love of music that he instilled mm. in you and letting you go to see the Beatles when you were like 11. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. Man, this has been such a gift. Thank you. I'm really grateful to get to sit with you yeah. and hear these stories. Well, thanks and... for coming out. I can't yeah. wait to hear the songs oh, that golly. you write. Well, it'll take a minute before you hear it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's just having fun. But it's fun. It is. It's so fun. It it's is. fun. I mean, you're young, but but still to try all these different different things is just. Uh, it's. I mean, all the things that you've already done, but yeah, this is something that you absolutely need to do. Yeah. And if you can do it you know, in concert with all the right. other things that you do. Right. It's been really cool. Yeah. So thank you We're so good. much for having us. Okay. Thanks for coming. <laughs> the Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.